Hello, and welcome to Local Legacies, the show where we go behind the scenes with enterprising individuals who are striving for the best in their business, family, community, and themselves. I'm your host, Tim Lanza, and without further ado, here's this week's guest. Alrighty, welcome back, everybody. Today in the studio, I have my friend Toby Mushrush, owner of Waxing Poetic. I'm very excited to introduce him to you guys today and let him tell his story. How you doing today, Toby? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me in. Thanks for coming in. So why don't you go ahead and get started? So uh, I was uh, born in Erie, Pennsylvania, moved to Cleveland, Ohio when I was a baby. And then at 15, my whole family relocated to Westminster. And uh, it was a huge culture shock. Um, we were kind of inner city in Cleveland. And Westminster was a tight-knit group of kids that had grown up together, you know, from kindergarten. And uh, that was kind of like the beginning of my life, feeling like a little bit of an outsider, you know. Um, but, you know, I attended school, graduated high school, went to a year at Mount, Mount Wachusett Community College, and um, got into the car business. Started working on cars when I was like 18 years old. And uh, been working on cars really ever since. Uh, I've had a great career in a bunch of different places, uh, Ford dealerships when I was younger, and then on to an auto body shop in Fitchburg that I worked at for 14 years, and then off on my own um, doing auto detailing and working on some of like the most amazing cars in the area, and um, there's a lot of drinking involved in my, in my story, and It's been a little bit of a struggle, but I'm happy to be where I'm at, you know, um, running my own business and making my own schedule and doing what I want to do, what I like to do. So when you started off working on cars, you know, you said when you were 18, were you fixing cars or just kind of messing around? No, I was working at a Ford dealership, Lunenburg Ford, um, as a lot attendant, washing cars and moving them around and just real basic stuff, and bumped around to a few different Ford dealerships in the area and ended up at Townsend Ford. And uh, a guy there by the name of Bruce Eaton pulled me aside and kind of taught me how to detail cars. And that carried, the detailing is what carried me, kept me around cars my whole life. Um, I've done other stuff. I've worked mechanical work and, and some body work assistance, and I drove a tow truck for years. and. But detailing was always, like, what kept me around the car thing. What is it about de detailing that you like? I think it's just the sense of satisfaction, taking something and fi finishing the job and having it be perfect. Um, the process is just very gratifying. Um, and the, the, the customers and the, the owners of the cars are... You know, their reaction to me is just great, you know. It's, um, it's very satisfying work for sure. Yeah. yeah, I notice, you know, obviously I'm in the car business as well, and I do a whole variety of stuff, body work, mechanical, pretty much anything that needs to be done on a car, we do in some capacity. And it's like you can just give someone a big bill for you have done a bunch of mechanical work and, you know, the car's just working correctly now. And they're just like, oh, thanks, mm -hmm. you know. But when you when it's visually something that you've changed about the car, and it's 
it's it's got that wow factor yeah it definitely does and you know my my shop model for years has been fall in love with your car again and it's just you know you've had your car for a few years and you kind of forget what it looked like when you got it you know and i try to like strive for that brand new appearance nothing fake no greasy shine just like it's supposed to be you know um and i'm really picky about it yeah you know <laughs> i mean that's yeah. the type of business where you want to be picky right right yeah so now you're working at the auto body place what was what we do you were detailing there i was doing detailing for them they were a used car dealer and an auto body shop and mechanical repairs um, so I learned all my car stuff pretty much while I was working there. And, um, and I did everything there from the detailing of the used cars to answering the phone and they had a racing team. So I would run the show while they were gone, um, help out in the body shop, wet sand and fresh paint. And we did a lot of show cars and hot rods and stuff. So, um, I really learned a lot working there, um, I became part of their family, kind of, and spent a lot of time with them outside of work. And it was a pretty good relationship with the father and the two sons. And um, that was, it was while I was working there, that was when I started drinking, you know. And, uh, and they, they, they saw it. They knew. They saw the decline, you know. And, uh, but I stayed there for a long time. I worked there for many years, you know, and learned a lot about, not just about cars, but about, like, showing up, you know. I used to call in sick and, and um, come in late sometimes, you know, and the boss there, the owner, John, had just sat me, went, sat me down one day and said, you know, you, you come to work every day, you, come, you show up on time. You know, he just, like, gave me that talking to that I really needed and it stuck, you know? So I give him a lot of credit over the years for like my work ethic, um, doing something, if you're gonna do it, do it right. You know, if you're gonna wash a car, you towel it down so there's no water spots. Like I used to teach us that, you know? Um, and I kind of carried that through, you know, for a long time. And my father actually sat down with, with John one time and thanked him for, you know, kicking me in the ass a little bit when I, when I needed it, you know. Um, but, you know, the drinking got the better of me during that time. Yeah, so how did that kind of start? I mean, it was, I was always a weekend partier, you know, and the weekends were sometimes starting on Wednesdays, you know, and I'm just a hard partier, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, and um, it started to affect my you know, showing up for work on time and stuff, calling in sick when I have a hangover and, you know, um, and, and, and affect the quality of my work, you know, and I didn't see it for years. You know, I worked like that for, for years and I wasn't a daily drinker at that time, but I was a, not, I wasn't drinking during the day, but I was a daily drinker. I drink every night, you know, and, and I lost that job as a direct result of my drinking. I actually crashed the tow truck drunk, their beautiful Super Duty tow truck. Um, and it was embarrassing. And I didn't quit drinking because of that. They gave me another chance. 
and then let me go again, let me go after that because of, I was still drinking. But it forced my hand to start my own business, and you know, it was something I had always wanted to do. I always had in my mind I was gonna start a detail shop someday. I'd seen the phrase waxing poetic in some piece of literature somewhere, and I was like, that's, that's the name, you know? Um, for this imaginary business I'm gonna own someday, and I'm gonna only detail the nice cars, you know? <laughs> I'm not gonna work on these auction junks. And, uh, you know, so when I lost that job, it was like a huge shock to my system. I was part of the family, I'd been there, that was all I knew, you know? Um, I started there when I was like 22. And so now I'm in my early 30s and I was just kind of lost, you know? Now, y you may have not realized this at the time, but looking back, what do you think that was like for all of them? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it was a disappointment. And that's, uh, that's a, been a theme in my life is disappointment. Uh, I feel I've disappointed a lot of people and I carry a lot of disappointment in myself, you know. Um, they put a lot of trust in me. You know, they, I could drive any one of their cars, the hot rods and the tow trucks and all that stuff whenever I wanted to. And, you know, I abused that and I became like an untrustworthy person. And that's not the kind of person I set out to be, you know what I mean, you know. Um, so the alcohol really, you know, shredded that whole relationship and pushed me out onto my own. And, um, I started my first shop. I rented a little bay down on Circle Street behind the boulder and worked out of this little tiny garage for about a year. And then I, I uh, met Glenn Fossa, who was a Fitchburg police officer at the time. And he owns the building next to the Morin Square Diner. And I moved into there. And uh, man, I was like so proud of myself. I finally had my own business. I put up my sign, you know. Uh, I was still drinking on the weekends and stuff and sometimes at night. But I focused on the business and for a couple of years there did pretty good. Had a couple employees and, and, uh, was making money and having fun and working with Glenn Fossa and selling some cars for him. It was a pretty good gig, you know? And uh, it's funny, I remember I went home one day, I, I was renting a house from Glenn in Fitchburg up on Pine Street and I went home for lunch one day. I was a little bit hungover. And I took a swig off of a bottle of tequila that was in the freezer. And man, that hangover just went away. And I look back now, and that was like, that was it. Nobody, I didn't get caught. Nobody knew. And like from that, from there, from that point on, I was drinking hard every day. I mean, it went, it went downhill fast. Once you figure out the solution to the problem is more of the problem. Yeah, it's a weird yeah. cycle. It, it takes away the shakes and the, and all that that awful feeling of a hangover instantly goes away. The hair of the dog thing, I mean, that's so true. It really works, you know? Um, but with me, I get physically addicted very fast. And so the next day I have the shakes and a little bit takes that away. And then the next day, and then the next day. And 
my history has been doing that until I end up in the hospital. Um, so I did pretty good at that shop for a little while. And as my drinking increased, business decreased, I let the employees go. I, I got rid of the nice car I was driving and got a cheaper car. You know, I blamed it on the economy and business is slow and all that. I never blamed it on myself, you know. It's always easy to yeah. point the finger. I, I, was, I thought I was doing okay, you know. I had my own business and I had my own place and a car. I was okay, you know. And um, I was able to survive like that for longer than seems possible, you know. And slowly downsizing and getting worse and worse, but still telling myself I was okay, you know. <laughs> I, I stopped driving a car and I was riding around Fitchburg on a mountain bike quite a bit drunk. And, but I was okay because it was a really nice mountain bike, you know what I mean? It's like I wasn't, I wasn't pushing a shopping cart, so I was, I had my shit together, you know. Um, Business-wise, just going back to when you first go out on your own and you start, uh, you know, picking up steam as far as building out your clientele again, or maybe you had clientele that followed you over, you've got employees working for you, and you're running the show now. How much of that foundation was built at the body shop previously? Because it sounds like you kind of did a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, because I was, I helped out in the office a lot. I was doing a lot of the scheduling and handling the customers and you know, I was basically managing the shop while the, while the owner and his sons were away. So I, yeah, I learned a lot of like general day-to-day -day business there. Um, but, and I, then after that, I just kind of made it up as I went along, you know, I think that's what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, really. I guess, you know, I feel like I'm the only one doing that, but it's kind of hear from everybody. That's kind of how you do it. That's, you know? that's, what everyone's doing, I think, is just, just I think not just in business, but in life, it's no one knows. Right. They're yeah. just stumbling through every day and right. on a path that they hope is right. Yeah. Learn as you go. Right. And now I think people don't appreciate the fact if you haven't owned your own business, like if you're an employee and you have a job and you go in and you do your job, it's not that your job isn't stressful. It's not that your job isn't difficult, but to balance every job if you're a business owner, and especially as you start to lose those employees that are working for you, now you're just, you're doing absolutely everything. It's just so, you know, my dad described it as like being an octopus and you've got eight arms and you're being pulled in eight different directions. And it's very hard to stay focused on any one task. Yeah, it can be tricky. Um, and you have, you know, and that's with detailing, I guess with anything really, any job that requires skill, you have to be focused on the task. And ringing phones and customers walking in and stuff can be a challenge. You know, sometimes I just want to be left alone and turn the phone off, but being a one man show, I can't do that. Um, so I have a real set routine in my, when I work on a car and I have to stick to that because that way I know where I'm at. It's so easy to get distracted by anything, you know? Um, so staying focused on that is probably the hardest part. Um, the work, I, I mean, it's physical work. I enjoy it. Um, the scheduling and all that kind of stuff in the business parts of it, I don't really enjoy, but it's the, you're a technician. Yeah. I'd do, rather do that. Yeah. yeah. I'd rather work. I'd rather be working on the cars than at the desk for sure. Right. I think know? most, m most business owners, that's how 
that's where their heart is, is doing what they love. And now they've built this business around it. Right. So you have uh, going, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but going back to things are starting to kind of unwind or I guess spiral would be, you know, downward spiral or how did that evolve? Yeah, it was it was during the time that I had the shop in Fitchburg, and I, that was when I really you know fell apart and sold all my equipment, and I was going to go off and do some roofing with a friend of mine. I had a roofing business, and he was a drinker too, and I just bounced around for a while, worked with him like doing odd jobs for a couple years, and spent the rest of my time really. That was the worst. My worst times, I would say, was you know like stumbling around Fitchburg on the railroad tracks with a bottle of vodka in my pants, uh, riding my mountain bike with the water bottle full of vodka up and down the streets of Fitchburg because I had nothing else to do. Now, at the time, did you realize, like, is there any part of you that's like, this isn't right, or are you just going along, like, you know, like you said, I'm on my mountain bike, I'm happy? Yeah, I really didn't, at that time, I really didn't see how bad it was. Um, I thought I was just doing what I had to do or just, I didn't, it didn't really feel real to me at the time. I was just like in, in a fog and it wasn't until I started getting in trouble. Like I got a DUI and ended up in a detox that I started to realize that I had a real problem prior to that. I just, I thought I was normal. You know what I mean? Everybody does this, right? Now, when you're in a detox, is that you're self-admitted? Did someone admit you, or were you, like, how did that happen? I was never forced to go, but I was convinced to go many times. Um, over the course of the years, 12 different detoxes um, from down a place down on the Cape and down in uh, Westboro, all over the place. Um, different detoxes, most of them were about... Six or seven days, they put you on some Librium to stop the shakes, and you go to some AA meetings while you're there, you talk to a counselor, and man, every time it was like, all right, this is it, you know? I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna go to some meetings, I'm gonna get my shit together, and I'm gonna focus on the business, because you know, I was still kind of running a business that during some of my drinking, you know? And I'd get out and I'd do good for a little while, and I couldn't keep it together. I'd be drinking again within months. And, you know, somehow managed to make some happy customers because I have, they're still my customers today, you know, um, during what I thought was some of my worst drinking times when I was drinking in my shop. Um, I was still able to somehow do decent work, I guess, you know? I feel, now I look back on it, I'm like, oh my God, I can't even imagine um, the work that I put out now doing that under the influence. It's, it scares me. But I, uh, I couldn't break the cycle. And my self-esteem had me convinced that that was like my destiny. I'm just gonna be a drunk. And I kind of was okay with that for a long time, you know. Um, I never put in any effort. I put in effort. That's not, I, I, that's, not, that's not true. I put in a lot of effort, but it was never enough to break it. How much is ease of access 
a problem or perpetuating the problem as far as alcohol goes. Ease of access? Yeah, like, you know, if you've got a drug problem, you've got to find someone who sells drugs. If you've got an alcohol problem, all you got to do is walk down the street. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But for me, actually, ease of access was an issue for a while because I'd, I'd get up at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning and I'd be shaking like crazy. And I didn't have any booze left over from the night before. I never did. And I would wish the liquor stores opened earlier. You know what I mean? Because I'd be cruising around town shaking, waiting for Wyman's to open up, whoever opens up first, you know? And I wasn't the only person pulling in the parking lot at 8.01. Um, I knew at that time, you know, I knew I, knew I was screwed. And I just kept doing it because I didn't know any different. And did you see any sort of a path out? A little bit. You know, I, I was afraid of breaking that cycle because it was all I knew. Um, and, you know, I did, I did a lot of AA meetings that helped me learn a lot about myself. It wasn't maybe what I would consider my ultimate solution to my drinking problem. Um, I think that's more of a personal responsibility issue than it is um, a higher power issue. And that's kind of where, where I was at. But it was the only, to me, it was the only path out. It was what, at all the detoxes, they hammer that into you. Go to AA, go to AA, that's what they tell you. I gave it a real, you know, a real strong effort. I got involved. I did all the stuff, you know. I picked up people for meetings. I was the bookie. I was the volunteer. I was the speaker. I was going on speaking trips all over New England, you know, with groups of people and telling my story, you know, telling people how bad I was and how good I'm doing now. Um, but I never really felt like I was doing good. I kind of felt like I was just waiting to get drunk again, <laughs> you know what I mean? I never really felt like I was cured. And, and you know, they don't even want you to say that word in, in AA. You know, you're a recovering alcoholic, you're not recovered. And, and that, I had a little problem with that too, you know? Um, I wanna be fixed, you know? I, I, I like to fix things, I wanna fix myself, you know? and. If I can't do that, if it's not going to be fixed, then I'm, why am I even trying? You know, um, if there is really you no know, end goal of being recovered, what am I going to put all this effort in for? Right, and al know? almost similarly to a car, is if you actually use the car, and you want to keep it clean, it takes consistent maintenance. Yeah, for sure, it's consistent maintenance. You know, and no matter how much you maintain a car, it's never going to be brand new again. So, I mean, I kind of look at it like that. It is a, it's a constant work in progress type thing. But at the time, you know, during that drinking time, I was violent, nah, not violently, aggressively anti-help. I didn't want anybody's help. I wanted to do it on my own. You know, when I was a kid and my chain fell off my bicycle, my dad showed me how to put it on once. And after that, you do it on your own, 
you know, and I didn't want outside help. I didn't want to sit down with a sponsor and tell them all the bad stuff I did. I did. I did all that. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think I was 100% into it. I was kind of, ah, this is a little bit, you know, magical powers, higher power type thing, but I don't know what else to do, you know? Um, so I kind of stayed stuck in a cycle like that, you know? I really did, and I, I mean, I look back now at my hospital record, and it was just, you know, a year, year and a half between detoxes, and never any real long-term sobriety, but still functioning, you know? Um, was in some relationships and didn't really have a lot of friends. You mentioned that earlier when you, back when you were in high school or going through school that you felt like you were a loner and you feel like that kind of continued throughout your life. It definitely continued, yeah. Yeah, I isolated a lot, um, especially once, once I realized I had a drinking problem. I really started isolating myself because, you know, I have this self-image issue where I see myself as, you know, invaluable and, and inferior. And if any, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a drunk because I don't want them to have a bad impression of me. You know, I'm terrified of that. And um, so I was never, uh, I did a lot of drinking in bars and partying and all that stuff, but when I was heavy drinking, I was hiding. I was by myself. I was either on the railroad tracks or in my apartment and just blinds closed, TV on, pouring booze down my throat and like no enjoyment out of it at all. You know, it wasn't fun. Um, it, was, it, was, it was hell. You know, it really was. Now, I have worked in the restaurant bar industry for, you know, over a decade. And I've had my own struggles throughout my life with alcohol. And, you know, I haven't drank now in more than a year. And I may go back to it someday. But I think a lot of what you're saying definitely resonates with me and probably resonates with other people. But it's interesting how you, as your, as your self-image begins to decline, you go further and further away from other people. Like you don't want them to see you or you don't want them to know. And from the bar perspective, I, have see, I see people drinking at the bar, but they're drinking alone. Like the only reason that they're drinking at the bar is because they serve alcohol there. But you can tell even if there's people around them and if they're talking to people, they're not really like there. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to interact with anybody. Uh, you know, I would, I'd be holed up in my apartment all day long. And... When I ran out of booze, it was like, you know, I didn't want to go out in public and get more. If I could have had it delivered, I would, you know. Um, and I'd park in wherever I could hide my car behind the liquor store so nobody would see that I was going in there. You know what I mean? It was real sneaky. And and it was, it was just, I was embarrassed. Because I knew now that I had a problem. And it's like, I didn't want... I didn't want anybody else to know. Right. A lot more people knew than I thought. <laughs> um, well, you're fogged. <laughs> you know, you're in your own world, basically, and everyone's clear-headed and clear-eyed watching you. Yeah. I thought I was fooling a lot of people, and I thought I was really good at it, you know. Um, but 
you know, the relationships I was in, um, they always knew. And people I worked with, I, I shared a shop for a while with a guy. And I thought I had him, like, completely bamboozled in it. And he had no clue I was drinking because I was so good with my breath mints and how I mixed it. And, you know, it was vodka, didn't have any scent and all that, you know. Um, but he told me years later that, you know, I reeked of booze all the time. You know, my customers knew. There was plenty of customers that I'm sure smelled booze on me, you know. Um, and I'm... I'm embarrassed about that now. Like, I cringe when I think about that. Like, why do you think they kept coming back? And why do you think the ones that are still with you, like, what? there must be a, a reason for that? I, I always, uh, during my sober times, I put out really good work. And I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. And I think I'm good with people. Like, people that are into their cars, I'm into cars, too. And I'm, and, like... I keep my, I drive an old, an old Hyundai and I keep it spotless inside. Like it's just how it's supposed to be. And I, I keep, I do everybody's car. Like it's my own, like no matter what car comes in, I kind of envision myself. If this was my car, how would I, how should it look? And that's what I do. And somehow I managed to be able to do that. Um, sometimes while intoxicated, a lot of times during year and a half or sometimes I had a couple of years sober when I, you know, was really thought I was getting my stuff back together again, you know, but like I said before, I was never really putting in like the full effort because I knew that I was going back to it anyway. Like that was my destiny. Like I'll get a little reprieve here and here and there, but it's not permanent. I'm going to end up drunk again. It's like you are that person and That's then you're just taking breaks from being that person. Yeah. Yeah, and so so when I'd be on my so, so sobriety breaks, you know, and I was sober for a year and a half or two or six months or whatever, like I'd put on a real good game and tell everybody how great I'm doing. Like I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything's great. You know, but behind the scenes, it wasn't. I still wasn't doing all, like, the responsible adult stuff that you're supposed to be doing, like having retirement plans and paying your bills and all that stuff, you know. Um, but as long as I looked okay, I was getting, you know, people around me were seeing me as sober, and they, I was getting a pat on the back, so it was good, you know. Um, I never... I never wanted to put in all the effort to do all those things, to get all my finance, financial parts straightened out. Because why bother? I'm just going to screw it all up anyway. You know what I mean? And that chased me for decades, you know? And I'd get to the point where I'd get myself decently sober and the business kind of running smooth again and caught up on my bills... And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you drank through your prime earning years and you don't have a retirement account. You never bought a house, you know. You're screwed anyway, so, you know, have a drink, right? I mean, what difference does it make? It'll solve You're all your stuck. problems. You know what I mean? You're not going to get out of this. So, you know, every time I went back to drinking, it did exactly what I needed it to do. It shut off all the worries, all the fears, all the, you know, regrets, 
were gone for a little while, you know, and and the time that that it worked got shorter and shorter to the point where I would basically be having DTs and withdrawals every day and hallucinations. What's that like going through DTs? It's 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 brutal. Um, it's like every cell in your body is like vibrating. Uh, sick to your stomach, dizzy, and and I had multiple nights of crazy hallucinations and jumping up on a coffee table and chasing stuff that was floating across the room and falling to the floor and then calling 911 on myself and getting hauled off in an ambulance, you know? Um, and that was like three and a half years ago, you know what I mean? It, I, I, this has been going on for a long time, you know? Um, beating myself up with this. Talk about that for a little bit, because I definitely, and I don't know if it's a personality trait, but if you're, you know, you're, you seem to be a perfectionist in your work and what you expect of yourself work-wise, and I'm, the, I'm very similar. And how does that translate, or do you think it does translate into, you know, self-image and kind of beating yourself up when you know you're not doing what you should be? Yeah, that's self-image is huge. For, it's like my, my one of my biggest stumbling blocks. I. I never think I'm good enough. I never think I'm at the same level as the people around me. I compare myself a lot, you know. My brother's got a big fancy house. My friend Liz has a big fancy house, you know. So I value myself based on that. And I I can look back at my life and blame myself for it and say, well, that's because you drank through your prime earning years and that way I have, at least I have somebody I can point the finger at. It's me. It's always me, you know. I spent many years, you know, externalizing that and blaming everybody around me. And that never really seemed to pan out either, you know. Uh, and it, it was only recently that that I finally had this realization and you know AA talks about this spiritual awakening type moment that you have and whether it's you know an instant type spiritual thing or it's like an educational thing as you learn something over time and you awaken to something and and to me it was alcohol doesn't fix it anymore and that scares the shit out of me because I have no fallback so I have to do what I have to do now to make up for all the stuff I didn't do in the past. And that's it. Well, I heard someone say, you know, in, this was in the context of addiction, but you can never have enough of something that almost works. Right. Because it doesn't actually work. It doesn't actually work. And you keep consuming work. more and more. Whatever that thing is, whether it's a toxic relationship, if it's alcohol, if it's food, and you just keep consuming it, but it isn't fixing whatever is the deeper problem. Yeah, and once I came to the realization that, like, all right, if I can't drink anymore, now what? It's like I don't really have any choice anymore. I used to have a choice. I could suck it up and start taking care of my responsibilities and start making up for my past, or I could drink. Now I can't drink. 
So I don't, I feel like I don't have any choice. And that's like, that's what propels me forward is because if I could drink, I would, if it would fix, if it would make all my worries go away, bring it on, but it's not going to do that. It, it stopped doing that, you know, a long time ago. And I I kept trying anyway. Um, so, you know, these past few years has been terrifying for me, honestly. Uh, my business is doing better than it ever has, and I'm making more money than I ever have, and I have more friends than I've ever had, taking care of, you know, the, the stuff I let go in the past. But it's pretty scary, you know? It's... um. It's real all of a sudden. I think there's, you know, everyone has a fear of what, whatever they have at this moment. If it's something good, you've always got that fear in the back of your head. What if this gets taken from me or what if it all goes away? And if it has for you in the past over and over, you know, I can't even imagine what that weight must feel like. Yeah, it, it, it was a weight. It really was. It was, uh, I was stuck in a repeating loop. And even though it was horrible and, like, tragic, I was comfortable there. Um, fear of the unknown, you know, was what would bring me back to drinking again. Um, can I actually function as a real adult and, like, do all the right stuff, like pay my taxes and, you know... And do my do get my insurance and do all my you know proper stuff. Can I actually do that? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, as an isolated alcoholic for years, I think it's only me. I'm the only one that doesn't know how to like do life. You know, um, but you know, I've been seeing a counselor now for for years, and um, you know. He's finally got me starting to realize that, you know, everybody has these struggles. I'm not alone. Um, I don't have to do it all on my own. You know, that, that inability to ask for help in my AA years carried on, carries on even now, you know. Um, I have some difficulty or something hanging over me. I can take care of it on my own, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, need, I don't need anybody's help, and I'll, you know, sometimes hide it from not even tell my counselor because I don't want him to think that I can't handle my own stuff. You know what I mean? That's how deep it goes, you know? Um, Self-esteem, you know, um, took a real hit during my drinking time. And I spent so a lot of time pretending I was okay, you know? And now, I'm kind of okay. I was going to say, you now know? that we've kind of covered all that positive stuff, <laughs> why don't we, yeah. what's, what, what's your, you know, what's life like now and what's day to day for you? Uh, my life is pretty good, you know. Um, I'm a licensed business in the city of Lemonster. I pay my taxes. I have a retirement plan. It's not huge, you know. Um, I live in an apartment over my shop, which is sometimes awesome, sometimes not. But, you know, 
I kind of see myself as like the old fashioned in the old days, like when the blacksmith would live over his business, you know, um, it's just kind of neat to have everything in one spot. But my day to day life is, I mean, I work a lot. I'm five o'clock in the morning. I'm downstairs and I usually do 10, 12 hour days, sometimes more, sometimes less, you know, um, it's nice to be able to make my own schedule, you know, um, this time of year, I'm pretty, pretty well busy. You know, in the winter, I, I, I slow down. So I do a lot of winter hiking <laughs> and snowshoeing and stuff like that um, and mountain biking in the snow. You made a comment to me, which, you know, I found funny uh, when we first talked. And, you know, you said, Lemonster's so great. There's so much to do around here. And I think if you talk to most people from Lemonster, they'd say the opposite. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do around here and, you know, some places to go or what you like to get involved with? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. I was in Fitchburg most of my adult life um, up until about six years ago when I went moved into the Sober House, um, Danny Cordio's place, Stepping Stones. And I lived there for a year because I was basically homeless at the time. I still had my shop, but I had got thrown out of the place I was living. And it was my first time coming really spending any time in Lemonster and I've really come to you know call it my home it's a great town and there's there's a lot of stuff to do around here I mean I kayak a lot and I mountain bike a lot and there's easy access to a lot of that right in this area um, up at Sholin Farms and um, the Nashua River I'm involved with the Nashua River Watershed Association I have been for years it's a great resource in the area. It's amazing. The, the recovery story uh, from when it was polluted to, to today is pretty cool. Um, now, when you say you're involved, what does that look like? Um, done volunteer work over the years, um, do donations, and involved with their yearly fundraising auctions. And um, done some other work in the area, like with the Mid-State Trail Association, did some trail maintenance in the Lemonster Trail Stewards, I started getting involved with just before COVID hit, and then I haven't been back since, but um, I just recently uh, got a business sponsorship for Sholin Farms because that is just a cool resource in this town, the hiking trails and the apples and the peaches and stuff. It's, it's underused and underutilized, I think. It's like a hidden gem, you know? Um, I drive up there almost every morning. I get my coffee and I do the loop up there and see the sun come up. And, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do around here. It's a great little town. There's a lot of good restaurants. And, you know, I really, my customer base had been very Fitchburg centric for years. And now it's so many Lemister people. And I've just come to know a lot of people in the area, local business owners, and just, it's a neat town. It seems like there's a lot of community activity and stuff going on downtown, local events. You know, there's a, mute, there's a concert tonight. I went to the concert on the Common last Thursday night. Mark Marquis Mark was Marquee, playing. Yeah. yeah, and Matt Dion, the lead singer from Trebek, yeah. was there on vocals, and I went with my brother, and a beautiful night in this little downtown park with cars going by, and the moon was out. And the music wasn't really my style, but it was, uh, it was just cool to be out on the town, and I felt like... It felt very old-fashioned, like, you know, 1950s Main Street, USA community feel, you know? Um, so I like to see that in this town and, and be involved in where I can. 
and um, and just get out and find the places that are around here. You know, Doyle, the Doyle Conservation Area up on uh, Lindell and Abbott Ave is just this amazing piece of property. And I go up there once a week probably for a walk. And I tell people, in, you know, people in the area will ask me, like, what's there to do around here? And I'll mention that. And they're like, I never heard of it, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, open up Google Maps and zoom in. Look for the green spots. That's what I do, you know. Um, look for the mountain bike trails or the hiking trails. And there's so, so much stuff around here. You know, there's a lot of other stuff too, but that's my thing, you know. Now, speaking of mountain biking, you had mentioned, I don't know if it was last night you said you went? Yeah, last night, my brother, who's a year older than me, so he's 54, um, we parked our car, we parked one car up on the end of West Street and pushed our mountain bikes up to the Kmart Overlook and started there and rode south on the Manusnock Blue Trail, which follows that ridge goes over the top of North Manusnock Hill, which is where the Kmart Overlook is, then South Manusnock Hill, and you have a view off to the west that is like a postcard of Wachusett Mountain. And we saw that as the sun was going down, and then we continued south all the way to Sholin Farms, where I had my car parked, and then we shuttled back. So there's, there's a lot of cool stuff to do around here. Getting out there and, and doing it is uh, really important to me. I find a lot of um, meditative aspects in mountain biking. We do a lot of the crazy, like, you know, black diamond downhill stuff, and you really have to be focused. If you're thinking about what's going on at the shop tomorrow, you know, you're not going to make it to the bottom of the hill. So I get, I get a little moment of peace when I'm riding. You know, the rest of the time, my head can be full of thoughts, you know, <laughs> so. Now, do you feel like that has been somewhat of a supplement for the alcohol? Yeah, kind of. It's a little bit of an addiction, for sure. Or just um, gaining the clarity, you know, when you, you have that moment where everything stops, just like the chatter in your head. You're right. The stopping, stopping the chatter is what alcohol did, you know. It shut down all of that stuff. And, yeah, I guess you're right. It is, it is a little bit of that. It's... It's that time when I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm in the zone. It's it's like that you're in the, you're you're in the zone as opposed to being zoned. You know what I mean? Um, either time your thoughts are stopped, um, but the end result of being in the zone is a little better. You know. I found that myself when I stopped drinking. It's like wait a minute, my thoughts are like this all the time. Like they just go go go. And if you start. I was lucky enough to have good relationships with people and be able to share my thoughts and share what I'm thinking. And some people just looked at me and they're like, "All you know, it's all the time. It's constant. It's like, yeah, it's hard, you know, hard to explain, but the alcohol kind of cuts that out. So you have to figure out, I think, one other ways to cut that all together. But then also in your day-to-day -day life, you've got to figure out how to harness it. Right, right. And, and for me, it's, it's um, you know realizing that most of the stuff going on in my head is just imaginary, you know. Um, I can be a worst-case scenario kind of guy for sure. You know, I'm a worrier. That's, what, that's one of my things. Catastrophizing. Uh, yeah, you know, I can always see that what the bad outcome is going to be, you know. I can, never, I can never manage to see what the good outcome is going to be. Um, but that's kind of like, you know, my counselor says that's part of my pattern, you know. I always... 
knew disaster was coming, so therefore disaster came. See, You're I like told you. attracting it to yourself. Yeah, and I told you it was going to happen. Like, I knew it was going to all fall apart. See, I was right. You know what I mean? And, like. That's like an easy cop-out. Sorry you, not to cut you off. Yeah. But, you know, I see that with yeah. certain people. It's like you want something. It's almost like you want something bad to happen so that you can be right. So you look for it. Yeah. Yeah, look for it or create it. Right. Yeah. And I did a lot. I created it. You know, I created a lot of drama and just craziness in my life because it distracted me from what was going on in my head, you know? And, you know, lately, meditation has been very helpful. I do some guided meditations. I do some just sit in silence meditations. Um, those thoughts can be so overpowering that it's hard to sit and just listen to them. So I try to do that and not, you know, not put any weight to those thoughts, but just observe them. And it, it helps, <laughs> you know, I don't, it's a, it's a work in progress, I guess, you know, I still, I still have told my counselor, you know, I'm, what I'm really looking for is peace of mind. That's what I want. What does that mean to you? That's the thing. I don't know, because I don't know if I've ever had it. But I've been getting little bits and pieces of it here and there, you know? Sometimes I'll be driving down the road in my car, and I'm not, like, stressed out and worried about what next bad thing is going to happen, and I'm just, like, looking at the trees, you know? So I do, I have some peace of mind. It's fleeting, and but it's like... It's like cool things to do in Lemister. You have to look for it. You know what I mean? You have to actively look for it. It's not just going to land in my lap, you know? And I wanted that for years. I wanted the magic pill, you know? I've been on some psych meds over the years, and, uh, you know, I wanted the one that was going to just fix everything without me putting in any effort. So, you know, I'll put in the effort to to detail a car from beginning to end and, and see that it's a process and it, and it has to go in certain steps and things, some processes have to be, go before others and, and try to apply that to myself, you know, um, be a little patient with the process and enjoy it when I can, you know. Now, I think it's easy to look at, you know, everything you've just said over, you know, the past three years, we'll say it sounds like your life is just absolutely amazing. All these, you, it's like you're getting everything that you wanted out of life, and it's easy to make a direct association with, okay, well, you haven't been drinking, but I think it's important to point out the amount of work that you've put in to create that because just eliminating, as I know from my own experience, eliminating alcohol only gets you so far, and it's not that far. Yeah, yeah. It's... um I'm not going to downplay how hard it is to quit drinking because it's friggin' hard. And, uh, but I think that was the, you know, part of the issue was I thought if I quit, everything was going to be okay. Like if I'm okay, I'm sober now. When does everything get good? You know, um, it gets good when you, when you show up. You know, and you start doing the things that 
you've always wanted to do or you used to love to do and you stopped doing. You know, so yeah, stopping drinking is really hard, but and this is hard too. You know what I mean? It's, it takes a lot of work, you know? It's not it's not just I can put the bottle down and that means I'm fine. And that's what I that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be that easy, you know? And it's a it's a struggle. I don't I don't crave alcohol at all. I since my last time, it's like the cravings are gone, and I'm scared of the future. But like I said, I don't have any choice, so I just keep, you know, to use the bumper sticker, one day at a time, you know. Um, but I do have a pretty good life. Things are pretty good right now, you know. I've got, I'm in a great relationship with with Lauren and. We've been together three years now. She met me right after this last time I got sober. She's been super helpful. Um, she understands the racing thoughts and the power of meditation and um, the value of counseling and, and how important it is to ask for help. You know, um, that's, I still don't want to ask for help. You know, I just want it to be fixed right now. Thank you very much. That's what I want. Um, but I, I ask for help now, and, and I recently had to ask, you know, some help from my brother for something, and I thought his reaction was going to be the exact opposite of what, of what it was. I thought he was going to say, you what? You didn't what? You know, and... Um, I'll tell you, just recently, I just got my business license in the city of Lemister. And I didn't think I was going to talk about this, but it was, I was so embarrassed that I was an unlicensed business. And I thought I was in trouble. I was ashamed of it. My girlfriend didn't know, my brother didn't know. And it was tearing me apart because I felt like this is the last thing I need to do to like make that dream of years ago starting waxing poetic. Like now I finally have to like get a business license and be real. And I asked them for help and, and they st stood right up behind me and, and, and gave me the courage I needed to, to do that. Um, they explained to me that it wasn't as big of a deal as I had made it out to be. You know, in my mind, I thought I was going to go to jail or something. You know, I really thought um, that I was a fraud and a fake because I didn't have a license from the city of Lemonster. And uh, it haunted me for a, a number of years. And just recently, it really started to like, affect my ability to not think about anything but that you know so to reach out and ask for help was terrifyingly hard i was embarrassed i was ashamed and i thought everybody was going to be disappointed in me you know and i disappointed people all my life and now i want everybody to be proud of me so to tell them something like that, that I thought, you know, 
was something that I was holding a lot of shame about. And boy, when I tell my brother, he's just going to be disgusted in me, you know, that why wouldn't you have done that, you know? And no, uh, none of that. His reaction was, so what? No big deal. Just go do it. And I did. And it was awesome. It was easy. It was simple. And the city of Lemister was super easy to deal with. Everybody was super nice at City Hall. And I feel like it's just one more thing I didn't do in the past because of my drinking that I put off and put off and put off for years because why bother? I'm just going to end up throwing it all away anyway, you know? And now it's like, I'm not going to throw it all away. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, make, I'm taking the steps, you know? And uh, so, yeah, things are pretty damn good, you know, considering <laughs> where, you know, it's been a, it's been a rough road. It really has. How much easier, you know, did that get just asking for help? You know, it was pro I'm sure it was so hard for you to ask, but then once you did, what happened? Yeah, it was so hard to ask, you know. I, um, I was so ashamed and so embarrassed that I would just convince myself that I'll do it on my own, but I didn't know what to do, and I was afraid of the outcomes, and, and it was just affecting my ability to, to function. You know, really, really, I got all the other stuff taken care of, and it was like this one last thing that I had, you know, that was the last piece of the puzzle, you know? And, um, but yeah, I was ashamed, and I didn't want to tell anybody. So when I asked my brother, you know, and he said, whatever we need to do, I'll help you, you know, and call me anytime, and we'll talk about this tomorrow. And the next day he checked in with me, and he was leaving for a mountain bike trip. He was going off to Utah for a week, and uh, he stayed in contact via text. Did you go to City Hall today? How did it go? Stuff like that, you know. He helped me. He didn't, he didn't yell at me. He didn't say, I'm disappointed in you, which is, you know, what I was expecting. I was ready for that. You know, I was already disappointed in myself and ready for some more of that from everybody else because that's, you know, what I do. I disappoint people, you know. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, unexpectedly easy and freeing because I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to act like I'm something I'm not. I don't have to walk around town like I'm a local business owner, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I never got a business certificate, so I'm not, am I really a business owner? Well, yeah, I am. I pay my taxes. I have customers. I do all that stuff. I just didn't have that little slip of paper, you know? I hung a lot of importance on that, and, like, I, it was a shame thing for me. You know, I didn't want to admit that. There's one other thing I should have taken care of in the past that I didn't do, you know? Um, so that's a recent thing that, you know, really taught me the value of, you know, there's other people out there that are going through this. You can ask for help. There's people that can help you, you know. I don't have to do it all myself, you know. I work alone, so 
when I detail a car, I do it all myself. Start to finish. It's from the tires to the engine to the headliner. I do everything myself. I don't ask for anybody's help. I don't need anybody's help because I know how to do it all, you know. I want my life to be like that, you know what I mean, where I can do all the stuff, you know. Um, but, no, it's not like that. Everybody needs help, you know. They definitely do. Yeah. And the, and I love helping people, you know. When anybody asks me for help, I'm willing to help, especially now that I'm sober, you know what I mean? I, I respond and I answer the text, you know. When somebody says, can you help me move a couch? I'm like, I'm on my way, you know. Um, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. So, and, but failed to see that other people would be getting enjoyment from helping me. That people want to help. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? If you can do something for somebody because they're not good at that and it can be of assistance to them. The world goes on. That's it, you know? <laughs> what, what is that next hurdle for you, do you think? My next hurdle is expanding my business um, because, and not, not because, I was going to blame my drinking and where I'm at, but it's really, it doesn't really matter what the cause is, it's where I'm at. I need to, I need to make some more money um, so I can retire someday. And, you know, right now I can crawl around on my hands and knees all day long, and I do many days you know what i mean you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um, i certainly do you know cleaning tar off a rocker panel i'm laying on the concrete you know and i'm i'm flexible and i'm i can still do it but that's not going to be forever you know i can't do this for 30 more years so um yeah that's the that's the dream um it's going to take a lot of asking for help <laughs> to accomplish because uh, I really don't know how to get to that point. Um, I'm pretty good at where I'm at now and com comfortable, you know what I mean? Surviving, saving, um, having some fun and enjoying life, you know, and still really, really loving what I do for work, which to me I think is probably the most important thing, or one of the most important things, you know, um, to enjoy what you do. So, yeah. Well, hopefully as a result of this, someone hears and is excited to help you with that. And I'm happy to help in any way I possibly can. You know, I'm very happy to call you a friend of mine and I'm always here to help. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing the people that reach out. You know, when, when somebody's in need of help, especially small business stuff, it's just other small business owners just, will do anything they can to help you, you know. Um, the Lucas situation here in Lemister recently was a good example of that, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know, asking for help is uh, it's hard, but gratifying for both parties, you know. Um, it's nice to be able to help somebody, and I like to be able to be of use. You know, I was useless for decades. Not really, but I look back on it and I feel like I, I never really showed up, you know. Um, what do you think the biggest lesson is that you've learned 
through all of this, through those decades where you felt like you were maybe useless at times and, you know, what's with, I don't know, looking at your life moving forward now, what's the biggest thing you've drawn from it? I mean, it sounds, sounds kind of cliche, but it's like, just don't stop trying, you know? Cause like, my shit got bad for a while, you know? Um, but I kept trying to get sober. I kept trying to do good work, you know? I kept trying to be a good friend and a good brother. I really did try. I didn't always succeed, you know? But, like, I just didn't quit, you know? I get up every day and, all right, <laughs> you know, let's do this. That's, that's it, man. It, you know, it, it gets, it gets bad sometimes. What other choice do you have but to, you know, roll out of bed, put your feet on the floor and look in the mirror and say, all right, start now. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's phenomenal advice. Uh, you know, that I think is probably a good place to end it right here. We could keep talking for a long time, but I want to be respectful of your time. But thank you so much, man, for coming in here. This was really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It, uh, it's great to have my story, you know, recorded for posterity. Um, I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us. We do this to share the stories of some of the incredible individuals in your community. All we ask in return is if you found value from this episode, please share it with someone else who may also gain value from the show. Please feel free to rate or review the show. Your feedback helps us give you more of what you want. Until next time, I'm Tim Lanza, and this was another Local Legacy.